Hello everyone, welcome back to Bugs Office, babe. Um, that was weird. Uh, welcome back. It is Friday. It's been a long day, but I am happy to be here. It's your girl, your box office babe, your host, Emily Diogordo. Before I hop right into today's topic, I do want to say a huge thank you to anyone who's tuning in right now, anyone who tuned in for episodes one, two, and or three, and every single person who's been sending me really kind messages and feedback on our Instagram at Box Office Babe Podcast. Hearing from all of you is really, really wonderful for me, and I make these podcast episodes because I like to talk about film and TV. It's something I enjoy, but most importantly, I want to engage in conversation with other people who like film and TV. So seriously, thank you so much. Today's episode is a little bit exciting because unlike episodes one, two, and three, today we're going to be talking about a TV show. I chose this not only because it's one of my favorites and I love it, but also because it was released in 2020, so it's fairly new. Not that many people have seen it, at least people in my life. There's also a book that is associated with it because it's an adaptation. And if you couldn't tell from last episode, I'm a big fan of that sort of thing. If you don't follow my Instagram for this podcast, you probably don't know yet what this TV show is, so I'll tell you. Today I'm going to be talking about Normal People. This is a very new show. It's 2020. It was released on Hulu, and it's wonderful. I'll tell you that right off the bat. So this show is based on the novel by Sally Rooney, who's an Irish author. She also wrote a novel called Conversations with Friends, which is on my list and also on my bedside table, but I haven't gotten to it yet because school is killing me. It's midterm season, so bear with me. But I do have to say, I did read Normal People. I've read it for this podcast. I skimmed through it and reread a lot of the sections. I also rewatched the show, and I watched the show for the first time last summer, summer 2020, which is when I read the book. For slightly more background for anyone tuning in, I actually watched the show before I read the book, which is usually not my style. I more so read the book and then watch the adaptation. But, you know, this is more happenstance. I was working in a bookshop all summer 2020. Since we were quarantining, if I wasn't at work, I was alone in my house or alone on a run. And me, my best friends, Kennedy and Scarlett, would Zoom almost every single night and just talk and do our thing because that's the only way we could really keep in touch. And on one of these Zoom calls, we were informed by Miss Kennedy that this new show, Normal People on Hulu, was so good and we all had to watch it. So, no joke, within the same week, all three of us had watched the show, all 12 episodes, all the way through, and it 100% took over our summer 2020. I'll explain it a little bit, but this was like our obsession of the summer. Now, because I was working in a bookstore, I was obviously around books a lot. And I had just finished this show, and I look up and see that the number one bestseller that week was Normal People by Sally Rooney. So I used my employee discount, and it was the first book that I bought myself for the whole summer. I went to the beach, and I laid there all day. And when I tell you I finished this book in one and a half days, I think, it was very easy to read, and I very much enjoyed it. For anyone listening who isn't familiar with the show and or the book, here's what the synopsis on Google said. So basically, the whole story centers around two characters. It's Connell Waldron and Marianne Sheridan. And Marianne and Connell, we are focusing on. They're from different backgrounds, but the same small town in Ireland. And we watch as they weave in and out of each other's romantic lives and start to grow up because they know each other from high school. I'm going to insert a little trigger warning here because part of the story does mention and discuss suicide, struggles with mental health, and grief. 
And I really want to dive into that slightly because I think it's a really beneficial part of the narrative and the show. I just want everyone listening to be aware ahead of time that that is a topic I'm going to discuss. The timeline of this story is a little bit interesting because it goes chronologically, so obviously from beginning to end in terms of time, but it does have a lot of gaps in it, so it sort of goes by times in life and events. By that I mean it starts in high school, it skips to university, and then it skips again to after university. Timing itself plays a really important role in the connection that Connell and Marianne share, and what I mean by that is, you know, throughout this story, if you've watched the show, read the novel, or you're just listening, throughout the story, Connell and Marianne have really had this invisible string tying them together. That is 100% a Taylor Swift folklore reference, stream folklore album of the year. I love Taylor Swift. Um, Actually, if you've heard the album, my top three songs, and in no particular order, are Invisible String, Peace, and Illicit Affairs, Do Not Ask Me How I'm Doing, That's off topic, but I want to say the only way to truly describe it is by this invisible string. This thing that binds them together across time, across events, across relationships, they are always connected in at least some form, and it's a very tender connection. I want to get into that later, what is meant to be, what is not, and why their relationship is so complex, but I do think right off the bat, it's important to recognize that across time, these gaps in their lives are sort of like the mundane, dull moments. And once they're together again, you can sort of see the world light up. It's almost like outside of the other, they don't find too much pleasure in themselves or others. And once they're back, it sort of transforms. I think that's really interesting. I don't know if that's maybe a quality of what people would call a soulmate or what have you. But there's definitely something to recognize about the fact that these two very, very intelligent, independent individuals, haha, alliteration, are so bound to each other in a really indescribable way. For a little bit more background on why I love this show and book, before I get into my top 11, I want to say, I think I should have counted before I started recording. Let us see, let us see. Yes, it's 11 things. So I'm really into this numbering because, like I said earlier, 17 pages, that is a lot of stuff I wrote down. So you know how I came to knowing what the show and the book were, but you don't really understand that me and my close friends really like when we watch a movie or what have you, and we're all connecting on this one thing, and so it sort of defines a certain period for us. So Summer 2020 was our folklore and normal people period. That's all we talked about. And it was very enjoyable because we were all very invested in this show and really loved how it made us feel and what it made us think about. We came up with a lot of little catchphrases that we still use, but they were very much summer 2020. I'm going to let you in on this secret and tell you two of those catchphrases. The first one's a really big one for us. We still use this one often. And, you know, just for a little more background, obviously this was written by an Irish author. It's also filmed in Ireland, and all of the characters are Irish. So that's going to explain. I'm going to butcher the accent. I can't do them. But we would often say things like, thank you, Marianne. I don't know if I'm not good at accents. Thank you, Marianne. And we would do it like that all the time. So, like, let's say I grabbed a coffee or something for Scarlett, and she would just go, thank you, Marianne. And it's so fun to say. It's honestly like a tick for me. The second one... Um, we like to say this thing 
that we are baddies with thickies. I don't know how else to describe what that means. And so, again, we would try to do this accent. I'm the worst of the three of us with accents. So we would say, Marianne's a baddie with a tiki. <laughs> oh, my God, this is embarrassing. Um, but it's really fun, and I, I think that anybody out there who has close friends, which is hopefully all of you, you should employ this tactic when you guys watch movies and shows together because it is really fun. Before I get into the 12 things that I really, really liked about this show, I do want to say two things about how it felt to watch the show before reading the book because it's definitely an odd order for readers like me. So the first thing that was really noticeable is that I could recognize immediately how much of the dialogue in the show was taken directly from the book. I'm a huge fan of that. I think obviously some pieces of work do need to be adapted and reworded and reworked on many levels in order to fit the screen and that format. But I really think that what made the book so fun to read was the way that Marianne and Connell talked to each other. And the fact that they were able to employ almost the exact same language in so many different scenes on the screen, I very much appreciated. And then second, one of the big conversations I'm going to have today has to do with communication and relationships because it's a really common thread among this relationship that you watch over a span of different years. And, you know, in terms of that communication, I'll get into this obviously more specifically later, but, you know, just straight up, Connell and Marianne don't know how to communicate well with each other, but it's in a very specific way that they lack. And when I read the book after watching the show, I felt like so many of my questions were answered because there are a lot of moments when you're watching where one of them you can see in their emotion or their facial expression that they're feeling a very specific thing, but they don't come out and say it and they don't explain themselves. And it sort of leaves you wondering, What was their thought process going through the situation? Why didn't they say this or why did they say that instead of this? And questions like that. And so after reading the book, I sort of felt even more complete in terms of understanding these characters and what they meant to each other because I would read explanations of what was going through each of their minds while they were engaging in this relationship. And it was really, really beneficial to me as a viewer and a reader. So Honestly, I think if I was recommending this to another person, I would say to watch the show before reading the book. With that little insight on the record, I do want to give you my rating, which I like to do at the beginning of my episode so you don't have to wait till the end of the hour or so to hear what I really think. I mean, it's sort of it's sort of clear already that I enjoy this piece. I'm going to give it five stars. I said this last episode that I look like a five-star whore, but I'm really not because I could give you a huge list of shows, movies, books that I absolutely despised or just didn't vibe with. You know, I just don't want to lie. And I think even under my very critical lens, as, again, both a reader and a, you know, screen time viewer... I felt truly compelled by the ideas and the concepts and the relationships presented in this piece, and it is 100% one of my favorite shows I've ever watched in my entire life. For a tiny bit more insight on whatever sort of palette I might have for television, I love comedy, so I'm really into New Girl and things like that. That's a top-tier one for me. But in terms of, like, my all-time favorite shows that are more dramatic, it's 100% shameless, big little lies. I just watched Sharp Objects and very much liked it. The Haunting of Hill House is probably my favorite show I've ever seen. There is nothing that can compare to it. There's just something about that show. 
And then obviously Normal People and I just watched Euphoria the past year or two and I very much enjoyed that as well. I want to hop right into my 12 favorite things and the first one is filming intimacy. That definitely sounds a little bit odd but what I mean by that is that when you watch this show there is something deeply intimate about the way that the camera moves within the characters and the way that events are portrayed. A lot of times in shows that are objectively beautiful, things are cinematic to a point where certain feelings are lost along the way, and that's not necessarily a criticism. But Normal People was able to create this really interesting hybrid form of filmmaking and a style and technique that encompassed both the incredibly emotive aspects of both of the main characters, the connection they shared, and the gaps that they shared, and then this really beautiful framing technique, so there was something very special about the way it feels to watch this. Part of what makes the show so intimately authentic is that it was shot on location, so there's a lot of authenticity added to that. It is taking place in an Irish town and a college named Trinity. This is exactly where they filmed it. There's definitely a closeness to everything and an emotionality. Lenny Abramson, the director himself, attended Trinity, as did the author Sally Rooney, and so they had that connecting factor when they were creating this show, and I think by doing it on location and with people who were invested in the world that it was created within, sort of added to that element. One really common way that they used framing in this show was with extreme close-ups. So you would be watching a conversation between Connell and Marianne, and There would be a close-up almost only from, let's say, the bridge of her nose and up. So you could see her eyes, what she was feeling, where she was glancing, the top of her head, her eyebrows, whatever. And it was sort of, like they say, the eyes are the window to the soul. It was sort of taking you with her along this journey. The same thing is true for Connell. And there are a lot of instances where extreme close-ups play a really interesting role. I wrote in my notes... Abramson created an amalgamated style that allows for very cinematic framing but authentic narration, aka it was a gorgeous, gorgeous show, but it also allowed for a very bared-down approach. The filmmaking style honestly made it feel like I as a viewer was present in a lot of these conversations and situations, and the fact that it was so cinematically beautiful that I could pick out probably hundreds of frames that I would deem perfect It never took that cinematic style too far, and nothing ever felt overdone. In fact, the entire show felt very much bared down, and I mean that seriously as a compliment, because if you've heard any of my podcast episodes before, when I watch specific pieces of art, I mean, it obviously depends on the story, but for something like Normal People, where we're really just watching people grow and love, I think that Keeping things subtle and keeping things simple and humane and natural is probably one of the best and most important things that a filmmaker can do. Another tactic that was used often was rack focus, which is sort of the focus of the lens changing within a continuous shot. A really good example of this is in Call Me By Your Name, which is, I believe, a 2017 film. And it has Timothy Chalamet and He Who Shall Not Be Named. It's a really beautiful film. There is a scene that is really well known for anyone who's viewed it where 
the characters of Oliver and Elio are sitting sort of behind each other. So Oliver is sitting in the front, Elio behind him, and his back is turned towards Elio, and they're engaging in a conversation. And so when Elio is speaking, the focus of the lens is on him, but within this continuous shot, the lens focuses then on Oliver, and it goes back and forth in a really seamless way. It's a really good way to use the camera and the lens to your benefit, and I think it's a really subtle tool that can make conversations feel really movable and exciting. Another thing I wrote in my notes is that some of the filming choices made Connell and Marianne's individual lives feel dull and mundane without the other. And I think that's a really interesting way to view this show because like I said, there are many gaps and there's always this invisible string connecting them through love and admiration and respect. But There is something interesting about the fact that they both feel incredibly isolated and unhappy in many ways when they're not together. It's something that can be really misconstrued in the wrong hands. At least in my opinion, there are certain really vulnerable aspects of humanity that can go awry if the wrong tactics are employed. But Abramson, Rooney, all of the producers, everyone working on this show was able to amalgamate their ideas and their visions to ensure that all of these really bared down aspects of what made Connell and Marianne fall in love and really start to learn from each other. It made sure that it was authentic and felt like it could be happening to you again. When I watched this show, I felt like I was in it. It made me feel like It was happening to me, which I think is why it was such an emotional experience watching it. At least in my case, I felt incredibly emotional during every single episode. I almost felt hollow once it ended because I felt like I was being taken in the journey as part of the cast, like I was maybe a friend or a lover. I also watched an Actors on Actors interview, which I believe is done by Vanity Fair. It's a very, very interesting YouTube poll that you can get yourself into where they pin different actors together and they have them conduct interviews. So I watched one with Paul Mezcal, who plays Connell in Normal People, and Nicholas Holt, who plays Peter in The Great, which is another Hulu show, which I also very much liked and me and my friends watched. And they were engaging in this really beautiful conversation about what it feels like to be in certain roles and to be an actor. And Paul Mezcal said, in terms of the dialogue and the relationship between Him and his co-star, his character, and the other character was, and I quote, there was a lot of stuff going on between the lines. And he was actually talking in terms of Daisy Edgar Jones, who plays Marianne in this show, when they were doing casting and chemistry reads. He felt like the reason that they were able to work so well and gain so much chemistry is because they were able to take what was on the page and really internalize it and create a realistic portrayal. A lot of the things that we as humans feel and a lot of the emotions that we emit are very complex and they often lack a certain understanding from outside perspectives. So to allow for so much room in terms of the emotional aspects of these conversations between these two people, allowing them to take from the script and really create people out of words was what made them work so well together, and it's what allowed casting directors, producers, and directors to know that Paul Mezcal and Daisy Edgar-Jones were really the only pair that could really do this justice. My second favorite thing about this show is actor chemistry, and I want to jump right into it because it directly relates to what I was just saying. Daisy Edgar-Jones and Paul Mezcal have this really, really 
really palpable chemistry. If you've seen the show, there is no denying it. There is something that makes it feel like they've known each other forever, which is sort of the same thing that Marianne and Connell share in their relationship. I watched a lot of interviews to prep for this. I wanted to be fully prepared. And the people who created the show, so producers and people who assisted in casting, said that once Daisy Edgar Jones came in, the casting was almost immediately set because the choice was very clear. And I think without their chemistry, this would have been a really awful show. I've seen a lot of television shows and movies myself, and I can say with a lot of confidence that I don't think I've ever seen chemistry equal to or better than that of these two actors. When you see them on screen together, they feel very instinctively connected. Just like Paul Mezcal said, there were things between the lines that they could understand through the other. And I do want to say these are really unbelievable actors, even without the wonderful dialogue. Paul Mezcal was actually nominated for his first Emmy, even though this was his first time in a screen production. He was nominated for an Emmy for his acting in this show, and Daisy Edgar Jones was nominated for both a Critics' Choice and Golden Globe Award for her acting in the show. One of the best qualities of this entire show involved sex, and I'm going to talk about that later because I believe it's my number five favorite thing, but I do want to mention in terms of chemistry that there was nothing over the top about the way that sex was portrayed, and I think that's because they had so much chemistry. There was no need for any intimacy coordinator to force them into certain situations that would feel unnatural. They really they really felt like Marianne and Connell. They did not feel like caricatures or actors really trying to play a role that didn't quite fit. I don't think there are more perfect people to play these roles, particularly in terms of how important chemistry is here. They had something that I really, as you can see, I'm sort of stuttering. I don't know how to put it into words, but I've never been so taken. And watching them felt like they were truly in love. And I remember talking about it with my friends and saying, I know that's the job, but there's just something there that is so interesting. And I've never really felt that way in watching people on screen. But with these two people, it was so interesting. In my notes, I wrote... In the best way possible, both leads appeared to wholly internalize the characters they played. Everything they did felt like a part of them and not some disconnected extension of them. I think that this show would have absolutely failed if these two actors had not been cast. And you know what? I stand by that. I wrote that earlier today, but I stand by it because there really is a wonderful internalization of emotion. And like I said earlier, watching this show was genuinely an emotional experience for me, and I think the reason for that comes in the chemistry between the actors because it felt so real. Even in the way that Daisy Edgar Jones and Paul Mezcal would express their emotions physically, like outside of the dialogue, was so perfectly fit. Daisy Edgar Jones in particular, I wrote down several times when I was rewatching the show, she shows such unbelievable talent in her ability to express emotion through her face alone. She could be saying nothing at all, and oftentimes her character is saying nothing at all, but she's also saying everything. And I think that it's a really talented thing to be able to do as an actor is to use your expressions, your body language, and your eyes to tell a story. In this show, the way that she scans Connell is so deeply attentive and caring And I feel that you can notice a similar thing with Connell 
The use of glances and eye contact plays a major role in their connection. I hope that people who've seen the show agree, because it was one of the first things I noticed. Even when their relationship was starting, there were a lot of stolen glances, and they never seemed sexual. They never seemed confused. They always seemed caring, and like I said, attentive is probably the greatest word I could give it. There was something very tender about the way they viewed the other, even when they didn't really have a built relationship at all. I want to move into number three, which is realistic dialogue. And this is sort of going to touch on the novel itself because it's where a lot of the information came from, but also from the people working on the show because Sally Rooney helped to write the first six episodes, but there are 12 episodes and other people on board assisted in writing it as well. And one of the first things that I noticed about the dialogue of the show, at least early on, so first few episodes, but also sort of in other episodes, is this awkward quality to it. And I really appreciated this because, in my opinion, without expressing the true awkwardness of starting a relationship and tiptoeing around your feelings, there would be a really deep misrepresentation as to the status of their relationship So they know each other because they grow up in the same area and they go to high school together, but they're not friends and they're not even really acquaintances. They know each other well. Connell's mother works for Marianne's family, so he is in and out of her house, but never for more than a couple minutes at a time, and they don't even talk at school. There's a scene where Connell comes over to Marianne's house to pick up his mother, and while she's cleaning up, they engage in a conversation literally just about school very casual small talk and there's something about the way that they took pause after they spoke like they were really trying to take in what the other person said digest it and respond it felt so awkward and I liked it because when you start to I don't know question how you feel about a person or you maybe are a little bit interested in them romantically there is a really interesting quality to the way that you act around them I think a lot of it involves hesitation, and I felt this from both of the actors and through the way that the dialogue was created for them. I actually wrote down a lot of dialogue I loved, which was most of it. I don't think there are lines that I didn't enjoy. There's something very, very human about the way that Sally Rooney and her counterparts wrote this, and I think that's what I most enjoyed in terms of quality. But I did write a few down and put them in this section because... There, I believe, are three that I want to just read onto the record and describe. The first one I want to talk about is from episode two, so very early on there are 12 episodes. This is really on the onset of the relationship between Connell and Marianne, so they're spending time alone at this point. They're disengaging in a conversation. They've kissed already. They're about to hook up for the first time. So again, everything is very new, and they do know each other fairly well, but not really in a deep way. They're talking about how Marianne's really sure of herself, she's very confident in her intelligence, what have you, and Connell says, you just always know what you think, I'm not like that. Marianne responds, well you must know what you feel, and he says, no, I struggle with that actually, I might look back on something and think how I felt at the time, but when it's happening, I never have any idea. I mean, I don't really know how else to put it into words, I think, The way that Connell describes himself is really interesting and relatable because it plays a really big role in who he is as a character. You can see throughout the story that he isn't sure of himself in many ways, but most particularly, he is very insecure in terms of his feelings. 
he has a hard time getting a grip and understanding what he is feeling in terms of emotions and wants and desires while in a present moment. So like he said, he could engage in a long relationship and not realize until months after what he was feeling when things were happening. And that's a really complex concept, but I think a lot of people watching or reading can understand and relate to that. Because as much as we want to act like we always know what the heck is going on, or like we always know what we want because confidence is key, a lot of the time you just don't really know what's going on in your head and you're sort of just rolling with the punches. And particularly because he is a male character, I felt so compelled by the fact that they wrote him as so complex, in tune with his emotions, in the fact that he's not in tune with them. He is outwardly saying that he wishes he could know more about himself in terms of his emotions, and that's something that he struggles with. The second piece of dialogue I want to read onto the record is also from episode 2 from a different scene, where they have just had sex, so they're laying in bed together, and Marianne starts to talk about the way she viewed Connell before they started to get together. They're laying in bed pretty silently, and Marianne asks, Do you remember that football match? Which, to preface, occurred earlier, I believe, in that episode because Marianne watched Connell play. And he says, yeah. Marianne says, I was watching you play, and honestly, you looked so beautiful. I just kept thinking about how much I wanted to watch you have sex. I mean, not even with me, but with anybody, and how good it would feel. And then she asks if that's weird to what she says. I mean, yeah, but I sort of understand. And I think I'm going to touch on this more later, but in a very brief way, I want to say sex plays a really interesting role in the way that these two people care for each other, and I don't think that that's a negative thing. I actually think that a lot of relationships do involve a lot of sex. Some don't, some do. There's nothing wrong with you if you don't want to have sex or if you don't have it often, but there's also nothing wrong with you if you do want to have sex a lot. And a lot of the relationship involves having sex and having sexual thoughts about the other. One thing I think is so interesting about that is not the mere fact that they connect through sex, but what the sex is like and what their thoughts are like. Because maybe I'm reading this incorrectly, but she's watching him play a game, and she's viewing him as this beautiful being sort of floating on the field, and her first instinct is to view him sexually in a really tender way. Even if she wasn't the one having sex with him, she would get pleasure from watching him do anything. And I think that's what she's saying is, Connell, it doesn't matter what you were doing, but I picture you doing things like having sex even when you're just playing a football game and I imagine how wonderful you would be and how beautiful you would look and I think it goes to how tender she views him I think there's a lot of admiration in the way that Marianne views Connell in particular now I want to give off my third piece of dialogue which is actually from episode five so it's further down the line and this is after high school so this is when Connell and Marianne have already met up and they're back in university And it's a conversation that they're having about what it feels like to sort of grow up, or at least that's what I take from it. And it's Connell speaking. He says, What upsets me is that I barely know what to say half of the time, like outside of this and outside of work. They don't really have to go around and pretend to be anything other than themselves, you know? And I feel like I am walking around and trying on a hundred different versions of myself. This prefaces a really interesting narrative later in the story, but even standing alone, it is really, really wonderful to see 
a character, particularly, again, a male character navigating his place in the world, the way that people view him, the way he views himself. It's also incredibly relatable because, you know, despite how sure you can be of yourself, despite how much you know about your personality and what you enjoy, it can be very difficult to put yourself out there and really put on a face for different people. And a lot of times, particularly like Connell, who's new to university and he's left a very comfortable environment, which was in his hometown, he has to navigate life with a lot of discomfort and uncertainty. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. Dialogue obviously plays a role in all of the things I enjoyed, so I'm going to move on to my number four, which was unique connection. That's probably an interesting way to title it, but I couldn't find better words because I really believe that one of the most important things that you can take away from watching this show is how truly unique the way that Marianne and Connell view each other is. Obviously, there are many dynamic versions of romance and camaraderie, but there's really something particular about this one, and it really took me by surprise. First and foremost, Marianne and Connell are both wildly intelligent, and that's something that they share. I think that plays a really interesting role here because a lot of the conversations that they have when they're alone are about things like novels and newspaper articles and stories, and they can really engage in wonderful discourse on certain things that not everyone would want to talk about. There is an incredibly palpable shared comfort between the two. Like, maybe they've known each other for a while because Connell's mom works for Marianne's family and they go to school together or whatever, but they don't talk often, and when they do, it feels very purposeful and intentional. They think about the things they say to each other, and they think about what the other person said later when they're lying in bed, and even in those brief moments, there is so much that's taken away from it. There's a lot of stuff from both the novel and the dialogue of the show that represent that, so I do want to share some of that on the record. First and foremost, episode 5, after Connell and Marianne are sort of back together, because like I said, there are gaps, and they're about to have sex or they're kissing or something of that sort, and Marianne says, it's not like this with other people. Again, there's something very unique about the quality of their relationship because obviously no matter who you're with or when, every relationship you engage in, whether it's friends, romantic, professional, whatever, will be wildly different. That's sort of just how it goes. Relationships are dynamic things. But there is a way that she says this line that makes me think that she really means it. You know, deep down in her core, she knows that she'll never find someone who makes her feel the way Connell does, and not because other people aren't good enough, but because they don't understand her as well. In episode 11, so big jump here, but really important line, Marianne and Connell are together, and they're talking about how they sort of had this shared loneliness growing up, that they always felt isolated despite having people around. And Connell says... I'm never lonely when I'm with you. I don't think I was ever really happy before then. Meaning that, you know, despite him being incredibly popular, being close with his mom, having extracurriculars like football, being smart, whatever, despite being a successful, popular guy, he felt very alone and being with Marianne made him feel seen. I think despite the fact that a lot of people listening, including myself, can feel that with our friends and lovers in real life, there is something really beautiful about watching it come to life on screen. 
Paul Mezcal himself described the connection between the characters Connell and Marianne as being instinctive, which I think is really a perfect word for it because, like I said, they don't really know each other that well on a deep level, but they feel immediately comfortable with one another. In episode 4, once Connell and Marianne have met up, this is right after their gap after high school, so it's when they meet up for the first time in university. It's been at least a full summer, and when they're talking, Connell says that he used to feel like he could read Marianne's mind when they would spend time together. And Marianne herself says that that's not normal. I think that alone is interesting, the fact that I as an audience member can recognize such a unique quality to the way they view each other and treat each other. And the fact that Marianne, who's the center of this story with Connell, she's a part of this active relationship, also sees that quality and understands now that she's in a new relationship with someone at the university, that it's not normal to feel so deeply connected with people and to know what's going on in their head. I wrote in my notes, Connell and Marianne seem to feel so wildly comfortable with each other that they feel free from judgment and there is some greater understanding to the way they feel with each other. I think that the way their relationship started is really important to discuss because I've tried to give a timeline, but it is a really complex story, so it's sort of hard to put into words. But their relationship begins in a sort of sexual way because they go to high school together, they decide to start hooking up in secret, but you know, in watching it, even then when they're doing this sexy secretive hookup thing, there's truly so much tenderness present. Despite sex being the largest role in their connection initially and even, you know, consistently throughout the relationship over the years, it never ever minimizes the emotional aspect of the relationship. In some relationships, it can. It's also important to note that, like I said, Connell was super popular in high school. He had lots of friends and lots of things going on. Marianne, on the other hand, had no friends. In fact, most people in school didn't like her and weren't kind to her. So their isolation came about in very different ways. And because of the way that the relationship started in secret, Connell specifically held the more dominating role over Marianne when they first got together because he had the social status and he called the shots in a lot of different ways. But what's interesting about that is that he might be dominant, but he never feels violent or controlling in the way that he's dominant over Marianne because even in his sexual acts towards her, it never feels like some form of currency or a thing he feels entitled to, but rather something that he wants to engage in out of admiration. The reason that's so interesting to me is because a lot of relationships, particularly heterosexual ones, but just almost every relationship in general, can easily evolve through an imbalance. And that could be a power dynamic or something of that sort. But I really think that in terms of this relationship, despite Connell sort of domineering it in the beginning because of social status and high school bullshit, there is always this really interesting center between them that goes around necessity. And I don't know how else to put this, so I'm going to try my best to articulate. But a lot of relationships that young people engage in are very much based in desire, and that's true for older relationships too, and it's also not a bad thing because a lot of what you desire is involved in romance, but there's something about Marianne and Connell that, although very sexual and very seeped in desire, is also seeped in necessity. I also grabbed a few more quotes throughout the show and the novel because I think I myself can't articulate better than the author. 
On page 7, when Marianne and Connell are speaking alone for the first time, Connell thinks this. When he talks to Marianne, he has a total sense of privacy between them. He could tell her anything about himself, even weird things, and she would never repeat them. He knows that. Being alone with her is like opening a door away from normal life and then closing it behind him. He's not afraid of her. She's actually a pretty relaxed person. But he fears being around her because of the confusing way he finds himself behaving. The things he says, what he normally wouldn't say. I think this is very interesting. Not only the fact that Connell himself feels a certain privacy and a connecting force between him and Marianne, despite the fact that they're not close, is the fact that he's almost fearful of being open with her because he's never open with anyone, and I think that's so interesting. There's a slightly similar thought done by Marianne in the novel on page 46, where Sally Rooney wrote, Even in memory, she will find this moment unbearably intense, and she's aware of that now while it's happening. She has never believed herself fit to be loved by any person, but now she has a new life of which this is the first moment, and even after many years have passed, she will still think, yes, that was it, the beginning of my life. That is a really unique thing to try to understand and digest as an audience member. The idea that despite Marianne feeling so unworthy of love, she literally feels in her relationship with Connell that when he began to love her, she began to love herself, and her life began then. I think that's just a really beautiful concept, and the way that Sally writes it is quite beautiful. Last thing I'll put onto the record because I'm taking forever, but there's a part on page 100 that goes into 101 where Connell is thinking about Marianne, and they're laying in bed together. They've just had sex. They're talking. He thinks, At times, he has the sensation that he and Marianne are like figure skaters. Improvising their discussions so adeptly and in such perfect synchronization that it surprises them both. She tosses herself gracefully into the air, and each time, without knowing how he's going to do it, he catches her. I don't really want to expand on this. I just want people listening who either haven't read the book or seen the show or, you know, one or the other, to hear that specific thing that I'm extrapolating from the text. Because it makes so clear that Despite being unable to really decipher where these different feelings stem from, there is a shared understanding that they have, and it's something that you can't even put into words, but I think Sally does it quite well. Number five on my list is the sex scenes, and I mean, this is a really big one for me, not because I'm some sort of pervert, but because I watch a lot of movies and TV shows where sex scenes are so glamorized and awkward and fake but I think that Normal People is probably the best sex scenes I've ever seen in terms of how realistic they can be. So the creators actually hired an intimacy coordinator to help create the most realistic sex scenes they could between young people, and it played such a pivotal role in the relationship between Connell and Marianne, that sexual intimacy. So the sex scenes played a pivotal role in the narrative. I do think the sex scenes are perfect, I, first of all, really enjoy that Daisy Edgar-Jones and Paul Mezcal are both shown naked in the show because I really appreciate some equality of nudity. I'm sick of only seeing naked girls. I mean, come on. I wrote in my notes, the sex scenes are a hybrid of sensuality and sexuality, never too far on either end, but always hovering in the middle. I don't want to go any further than that. If you've seen the show, you probably understand, but there's something really refreshing about feeling 
truly connected to a scene that is meant to be really palpable and sexual and making it feel tender and caring and really particular to the characters in the scene. Number six is another short one. It's Connell's mother. She plays a really interesting role, which I would define as wisdom in the story. So there are parts earlier in the relationship where Marianne and Connell obviously are in secret while in high school. And there are a lot of problematic aspects to that because Marianne didn't have a dominating role in the relationship and she didn't want to lose Connell. So there's a lot at risk for, I guess, both of them, but more so for her in terms of her emotions. That's something that Connell sort of takes advantage of and it's one of his worst qualities. But it comes from his anxiety and his inability to remove himself from social status in his school. Connell's mother is incredibly intuitive and observant, so she knows very quickly that there is a certain relationship going on between her son and Marianne, and she actually questions Connell about it because he sort of ends up asking another girl to the dance called the Debs, even though he's been hooking up with Marianne, and there's this whole issue. It's quite dramatic and quite important to put into discourse, and that dialogue is really wonderful, but there's something specifically I enjoyed, and Connell's mother says, Do you talk to her at school? In front of your friends, are you nice to her? Or say hello to her even? What are you afraid of? And then later in the conversation, after Connell tries to defend himself, as people do, she says, I think you're a disgrace and I'm ashamed of you. And I wrote in my notes that she did not raise her son to be cruel and she recognizes that. I think a lot of times, both in real life and in movies and TV shows, parents and loved ones can be very defensive over the people they're close with or the people they've raised. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's actually really nice to be caring and protective and loyal to the people that you're close to. But I also think a huge part of being a good friend, parent, etc. is calling people out when they're wrong. There is nothing worse than a friend who won't hold you accountable. I would expect that if I did something mean or awful or what have you to another person or I did something wrong in a situation that my closest friends would sit me down and tell me, what the fuck are you doing, Emily? Come on. And I would appreciate it in the end because why are you going to have friends that aren't going to be honest with you? And same thing with your parents. Connell's mother is never complacent to his jackassery, and she's the first person to call it out. She could have easily said that Marianne was dramatic, that it didn't matter, whatever, it's your life, but she stepped in right away and said, I did not raise you to disrespect the women you engage in sex with or women at all, and you have done wrong to Marianne, so you know what, I'm going to get out of the car and I'm going to walk myself to work because I don't want to be around you. And I very much appreciated that because most narratives wouldn't engage in that sort of conversation. Moving right into number seven, I labeled this miscommunication's role as the villain. Ooh, how well spoken of me. Hello. I think this is a really, really important part of the story because there is no villainization of either Marianne or Connell, even when there are situations that are negative in their relationship. For example, the one I was just talking about where Connell is most clearly in the wrong. I mean, he disrespected Marianne. They both did wrong things because they're bad at communicating, but... In the end, he should have shown her a lot more respect. But even in that situation, the show, the dialogue, the author, the director, the actors never try to portray a you versus me in their relationship. I don't know if this makes sense, but I'm very intrigued by the idea that there is a difference between arguing with a significant other and doing a me versus you and arguing with them as both of us versus the issue. I do think this is a really relatable thing that people in relationships, both friendship and romantic, can understand. 
There is never a situation where something's gone awry and we really feel like one of these people, Marianne O'Connell, is 100% or mostly at fault. There are so many situations that arise in this story where Connell or Marianne could have said one line differently or one line at all and everything would have changed, but they were both so withholding in terms of their feelings and desires and it was such a negative thing that they both engaged in. What I like about this show and this story is that both of our main characters are so, so, so deeply flawed and it makes them feel real because you know what? You can say whatever you want, but in real life, every single person you meet, including yourself, yep, you and me, is really flawed. We have things that are bad about us. We have things that are good about us and pretending that one of those sides doesn't exist benefits no one. For example, in this story, Connell is really bad at asking for help and describing his feelings. He talked about it earlier. I read you the dialogue. He doesn't understand his feelings in the moment, so he totally omits conversations that can talk about them. He does not engage in any conversation with Marianne about how he feels in a really upfront way, at least for the first half of their relationship. Early on, I believe episode two, when they first got together, Marianne is insecure in their relationship and she questions his feelings because Connell, despite hanging out with her every single day and having sex with her, and you know what, being pretty sweet too, they talk, they don't just have sex. She felt so deeply concerned about the way he felt because he never expressed it through any sort of words. I think in terms of people who know what the love languages are, I think words of affirmation is probably Marianne's biggest one because she takes a lot of value in what people say to her and about her. But when she poses questions about whether Connell really cares about her or what have you, he immediately becomes upset and insecure saying he would miss Marianne. His inability to communicate sort of causes for her to communicate in a very negative way. There's a huge scene, it's probably the biggest miscommunication of the entire show, and it happens about halfway through. Connell works a job at the university, it's what helps him pay to live by school. He is supposed to work there for the summer, but he's let go last minute because of issues with budgeting in the restaurant he works at. It happens, so he can no longer live with his roommate Niall, he can't live by school. Or, he could ask his very nice girlfriend Marianne if he can stay with her. He already stays with her most nights of the week because that's what couples do a lot of the time. And he is so taken aback by the suggestion that he should ask his girlfriend to stay with her, even just for a summer, and even after they spend as much time with each other as they do. Because he refuses to ask her for help and to allow for change to occur in the relationship, they break up over a super awkward, stupid conversation like, well, since you're gone, should we see other people where they're both clearly just insecure and trying to hear a no, but they're also both too stubborn to say no, and they agree to see other people and break up. And then literally over a year later when they're both dating new people and they're drunk, they start to talk about it and find out that neither of them wanted to see other people and it was just a confusion of the conversation. It is so painful to watch because you can see them become so pained over it. They did not intend for things to end, but their inability to put things into words for the other person to digest and understand led to them breaking up on several occasions. And you could maybe watch this from an outside perspective and be like, what is wrong with these people? But later I'm going to talk about the way that insecurity and bad timing plays a role, and I think it sort of is the most imperative part in terms of the way that miscommunication occurs. 
I wrote in my notes, these two people are in a loving relationship, yet they can never address their thoughts. It is so complex because the greatest quality of their relationship and their connection is the way they understand the other. Yet when it matters most, words never come out. Paul Mescal himself described to Nicholas Holt in that same Actors on Actors interview that I mentioned earlier. He said, Marianne and Connell have a relationship full of misbeats. But, like I said, it's really easy to write in villainous traits for lovers. It's easy to pick a bad guy or the definitive cause of anguish in a relationship. Normal People presents two flawed, insecure people who love each other probably as much as anyone could love another person. They connect on an undeniably unique level, and their love is very intuitive. So Marianne may do wrong, Connell may do wrong, but neither is truly wrong in themselves, in their character. And insecurity and bad timing really take the place of the villain here, as does miscommunication. Number eight on my list is labeled reciprocal envy. This is probably a super complex thing right off the bat, but even with people who've seen the show and read the book, it's definitely one of those nearly hidden things that is common among the relationship between Marianne and Connell. It's something that it took me watching the show several times and reading the book more than once to fully grasp. I want to read my notes because I took a lot of care in these. I wrote, I think in some interesting way these two envy each other. Marianne envies Connell's family and upbringing as it was full of love. Now you see several times within the story that a huge part of what makes Marianne so damaged, and I don't want to use that word in a negative way, but more so things that cause her strife, things that affect her ability to communicate and love another person. I take back the damaged part, but a damaging part of her personality, things that damage her ability to be with other people is what I mean by that. Stem from her relationship with her mother, father, and brother, her father died when she was young. He used to beat her mother and her. Her brother took after him in having very violent instincts. And her mother not only is complacent as a bystander to all of that abuse, but she engages in emotional abuse herself. Connell, on the other hand, grew up maybe without a father in the picture and with just his mother, but with a really wonderfully close relationship that was totally embedded in true care. And that is something that Marianne can never really understand because it's not something she experienced. In the way that she envies that upbringing, Connell envies Marianne's wealth because she has had a lot of opportunities that Connell can't understand and they are mostly based in how much money her mom makes. Marianne never got any lover protection from her family, hates being home, and literally begs to run away once she's out of high school, which is why she begins to thrive so much in her confidence and personality when she's at university. Because she's truly on her own and there's something individual about that. But Connell, on the other hand, grew up with so much love and emotional support that there is a really interesting deciphered quality there. But Marianne always felt secure in money and opportunity because she's really intelligent and wealthy so she knows she's able to succeed, where Connell and his mother always struggled in those ways particularly. His mother worked for Marianne's family and she was paid poorly and treated poorly. They want some of what the other has, but they fail to see the complex disadvantages that the other has endured. And it really comes to light in a conversation that they have together while eating ice cream in Italy. It's much later in the season, I believe around episode 10. That leads me right into my number nine on my list, which was insecurity. I've sort of delved into this a bit, but I want to get a lot more specific in terms of particular situations and particular sets of dialogue that I feel really interestingly depict what it feels like to be insecure in a relationship and in yourself. So both Connell and Marianne have 
a different set of insecurities and both sets of insecurities build walls in their relationships. So I sort of want to pose the question of where these insecurities come from and how they are different. This is obviously just my opinion and I'm actually really curious what people listening feel about these different things, but I believe that Marianne is fearful of being abandoned, she fears being left, she fears scaring partners away with the things she is struggling with because she considers herself unlovable. And she often finds herself to be unattractive, which goes along with being unlovable. On a different note, Connell fears change, he fears social isolation, and he feels deeply disconnected with his feelings and emotions, so he struggles to get a grip and constantly feels like he's spinning around in circles. There's a really interesting scene in, I want to say, about the middle of the show. So Connell and Marianne are still dating at this point. It's during university time. And they're laying together and having a conversation about what it would be like to have a threesome. Connell is very visibly uncomfortable. And Marianne also says she wouldn't want to have one. But then she says, you know, if you'd wanted to, I would have done it. And Connell says, you can't do things that you don't want or things you don't enjoy just to make me happy. To which Marianne responds, I like making you happy though. And it's really interesting because Connell becomes visibly upset and uncomfortable. I think because he senses where her insecurity lies and it brings him a lot of discomfort. Marianne is willing to do things she actively does not want to do solely to make her partner happy. And she doesn't understand that. He's sensing that insecurity because despite Marianne's intelligence and value, she would give up both her integrity and herself to ignore her feelings and please her partner. It 100% stems from her insecurity because I think deep down she believes that if she cannot keep her partner Connell happy 100% of the time, he will leave her for someone better or just someone else. Another thing that Marianne does that's really interesting is that she suffers in silence because that's sort of just her way. She doesn't have a healthy way of coping with the suffering she endures, so she leaves it be until it eats her alive and then it comes out in really negative or confusing ways. She deserved protection and care her whole life and she never got it, so she apologizes constantly because she feels like she needs to tiptoe around the people in her life. But where Connell becomes insecure is specifically in social situations. Because he doesn't really handle pressure well, he fears that losing his social power in high school, because people know he's with Marianne, will sort of ruin everything he has going for himself. Marianne threatens what he has in high school because she is not only disliked, but she doesn't subscribe to the superficial sociability that Connell and his friends do. And so he's clearly out of his element when he has to leave that comfort and go to university. He misses the comfort of his hometown where he knew everyone, and he's incredibly unsure of himself and his place in the new world that's forming around him. He's incredibly intelligent, just like Marianne, but he does not feel confident in his ideas. He's hesitant to share in class, even though he's one of their greatest scholars. And that's a really interesting thing to grasp, is that Connell himself wants to understand the reality of the world around him, but he can't because he doesn't understand who he is and what his place is for other people. And I want to read a few pieces of dialogue from the novel onto the record here on this pod because where Marianne kind of describes her different insecurities in various ways within the show, Connell expresses his insecurities in very silent ways 
you can feel them, but you can never quite place them. And he only talks about the fact that he doesn't feel very liked very late in the game. So I do want to talk about the way that Sally describes it and what Paul Mezcal, the actor, was drawing from. Page 26, Marianne says to Connell, I like you so much. In the novel, Sally Rooney writes, Connell felt a pleasurable sorrow come over him, which brought him close to tears. Moments of emotional pain arrived like this, meaningless or at least indecipherable. Marianne lived a drastically free life. He could see that, but he was trapped by various considerations. He cared what people thought of him. On page 73, so much later in the story, there's a similar idea which is given by Sally Rooney. She writes, Back home, Connell's shyness never seemed like much of an obstacle to his social life because everyone knew who he was already. If anything, his personality seemed like something external to himself, managed by the opinions of others, and now he has a sense of invisibility, nothingness. This is sort of when he's entering college and he has no idea who he is and has no friends because, like I said, I think what Connell fears most is not only social isolation but also change. One last short quote that I just really think is important. Page 84. He is not the same anxious, repressed person he was in school when his attraction to Marianne felt terrifying, like an oncoming train, and he threw her under it. This is Sally Rooney basically solidifying what I thought, which is that his inability to cope with the fact that his sociability would change or that it would be threatened is the reason that he disrespected Marianne. It wasn't out of any cruelty or distaste for her, but rather what other people would think about him. And I think that's a really interesting thing that we need to understand about both of these characters is where their insecurities stem from and why it leads to such heavy miscommunication. The things that they feel about themselves individually are what dictate how they feel about each other. They connect in really beautiful ways, but if they can never get past the things that sort of keep them up at night in terms of who they are as individuals, they can never be together. And they both really suck at talking about these sorts of things because it feels really embarrassing. I just think that if we want to understand what it feels like to be these two people in this very particular relationship that is being depicted on screen, we can't deny that so much of where their problems lie are individual and not shared. Right into number 10 on my list is mental health. This is a relatively short one in terms of the content I wrote down, but it is seriously one of the most important parts of this story, and I mean that. Episode 10 and the final two episodes, 11 and 12 of this show, really engage in discussion of mental health. It's mentioned earlier, we see it in a lot of struggles with both of these main characters, but it's done so in a really, really upfront way starting in episode 10. This episode opens up, on a frame of a self-love evaluation form in a therapist office because Connell has been struggling to sleep and his friend and roommate Niall suggested that he talk to someone. The reason that Connell's having a lot of his issues within this moment is because his close friend Rob, a friend from high school, committed suicide by jumping off of a bridge. And since that occurred, he has felt really guilty because he didn't keep in touch and guilty because things were happening with people close to him that he wasn't noticing or understanding. We not only watch him suffer through grief in terms of losing a close friend to suicide or, you know, just losing a close friend in general, but there's also this really delicate part of the way he grieves that they actually show us on screen. I don't know how much I can harp on this, but I think it's wildly important. 
that male emotionality and male grief and male feelings are shown more prominently on television and film, it is a really, really toxic, horrible thing that men are raised to feel little or nothing. I think it is incredibly manly, whatever the hell that means, to feel whatever it is you're feeling. I think it's actually one of the most incredibly dangerous parts of raising men that a lot of people in older generations are subscribing to and need to get rid of. We watch him grieve, have panic attacks, suffer from anxiety and depression, and lose feelings that he has towards the things around him and himself. This is not only something that so much of my generation and other generations suffer through every single day, but it's something that media fails to talk about in a reasonable way, or at least a realistic way. This entire show is incredibly memorable, and I mean that wholeheartedly. But undoubtedly, the most memorable scene of the entire show is a therapy session between Connell and a woman that works for his university. First of all, thank you to normal people. Thank you, Lenny Abramson, Paul Mezcal, Daisy Edgar-Jones, Sally Rooney, other producers and writers for creating a scene that is literally how therapy feels and that encompasses so much of what is hard about dealing with your emotions. I really don't see things like TV or film that address this properly or at all, and it's really frustrating. I myself go to therapy once a week. It's very helpful. I struggle with anxiety. I have mood swings. I've had depressive episodes, particularly in quarantine, where I've had to isolate myself. It is a very hard time, and for people who were struggling with their mental health before this time, it's only gotten worse. And I think that when we watch things on TV and movies, we so rarely feel seen by the people that are being portrayed and to see a male character or any character engage in a really honest therapy session and a really honest discussion of how it feels to suffer through mental health issues and to try to grapple with those things and cope with your emotions is one of the most important things I've seen in media in the past 10 years of my life. Even Paul Mezcal himself said in the Actors on Actors interview that that was one of the hardest scenes to film, not because he couldn't emote properly, but because he knew it was so wildly important. He said, and I quote, Men generally do not talk about mental health issues as much as they should, and it felt really important for me to get this scene right, and I think he did. Now, we are over an hour in, at least as far as my time looks on my laptop now. So if you're still listening, thank you. But I also do want to wrap it up for everyone's sake, so I'm going to get to my last one, number 11, the ending. First and foremost, this is one of the most painfully truthful endings I've ever seen. It felt so reminiscent of La La Land, which is another ending I really love. I cannot say this any other way. I want to watch things that are realistic, things that I have not only experienced myself but could experience in the future. So what happens in the end of this book and this show is that Connell gets a job opportunity in New York. They live in Ireland. That's quite far. What becomes the most prominent issue is whether or not Connell and Marianne want him to go and take this opportunity. Connell himself is struggling with the idea because he's happy with Marianne. The last two episodes, you really get to see them thrive. And it is so, so wonderful because you see them struggle through almost the entire show. But then we get to this point, it's like a crossroads. Either he goes and they break up, he goes and they stay together and eventually break up, or they just break up now and he takes this wonderful opportunity for his career. There really isn't a wrong answer. I think it depends on the person. I've always been the kind of person who goes for what's good for my career in schooling. 
I'm sort of like the Robin Scherbatsky of my squad. Like, that is something that means a lot to me. But there is nothing wrong or weak about choosing a romantic partner over a job. I think it just depends on the person and what you value most. Again, I really just want to read dialogue. I have some from the episode itself and some from the end of the book because they're slightly different but really interestingly intertwined and there are some things that despite how much I attempt to articulate, I can never do. So, first and foremost, episode 12, the end of the show. Connell says, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And Marianne says, no, that's true. I mean, you'd be somewhere else entirely. You'd be a different person and me too but we have done so much good for one another. And Connell says, you know that I love you and I'm never going to feel the same way for anyone else. I wrote right under this in my notes, this is fucking painful, period, because it is, it's so hard to watch. It sort of makes me want to burst into tears just talking about it now. (laughs) Um, But I wrote in my notes, the ending is one of the best parts of this show. It is not satisfying nor expected according to any romantic film tropes or show tropes, and there is no so-called happy ending. But that is how life really is. I don't know much about anything ever, but I do want to say that I truly believe that the way life goes is you can love someone with literally every cell in your being, you can love them with every part of you, but be unable to be with them for whatever reason. And I think the fact that Things like normal people make clear that that is a part of life and relationships is really important. Now, in the book, it goes a little differently. The dialogue is nearly exactly the same, but there's this final little internal monologue by Marianne, and it's so wonderful, I have to read it. It's on page 273. She closes her eyes. He probably won't come back, she thinks. Or he will, but differently. What they have now, they can never have back. But for her, the pain of loneliness will be nothing to the pain that she used to feel, of being unworthy. He brought her goodness like a gift, and now it belongs to her. Meanwhile, his life opens out before him in all directions at once. They have done a lot for each other, really. People can really change one another. Not even saying this to be dramatic, I'm like tearing up talking about this because... It's such a truthful portrayal of how relationships can evolve personhood. Marianne literally struggles the entire time she's on screen with the fact that she feels cold and unlovable because of the way her family has treated her and other men have treated her. We watch her go through different abusive relationships emotionally and physically, things that she's complacent to because she doesn't feel she's worthy of anything better or at least safe. And that is so hard to watch because... I can understand it. A lot of times when you're feeling down on yourself, you think your value should be belittled because if you don't value yourself, why would you expect other people to value you? And it's a really complex thing to experience. It's very confusing and it's hard to decipher and cope with. We watch her suffer so much and she's truly a good person. There are parts of her that I think she wants people to see and parts she wants to hide. But at the end of the day, Marianne is undeniably a wonderful, kind, intelligent, beautiful person who only wants good for everyone around her and has unfortunately been put in a life that doesn't give good to her, at least in a lot of ways. It is fair to say that you can't derive all of your happiness from a partner, but I don't really think that's what's happening here. I literally think that being with Connell in the way that she was, being romantic with him, having a friendship with him that lasted so many years after high school, even through so much thick and thin, she was able to learn how to love herself the way that he loved her, and it changed her in such a way that she could have never foreseen. 
it's really interesting the way that people in your life can teach you to love yourself. I've struggled with this so many times. Things that I don't enjoy about myself physically, mentally, emotionally, intellectually. There are so many things. I think it's natural as humans to doubt ourselves, not to trust ourselves, to find fault. We are, in fact, our harshest critics. Even the most confident of people have things they don't like about themselves, and it's a part of being a human. But I have really wonderful best friends, and when I'm struggling, they're there, and that's enough for me. And I think everybody's different in this way, but I relate to Marianne because I know that I'm good, and I know that I'm intelligent, and I know I have good qualities, but sometimes you just can't see that yourself, and the people around you really reinforce those ideas. At the end of the day, this is probably one of my favorite endings to anything I've ever watched because it feels like something I myself have experienced or will. I really like when reality is reflected in the art I perceive. That includes film and TV. It probably most primarily is film and TV. I like to watch things and see myself in them and not in like a self-centered way, in a relatability way, in a way that makes things digestible and understanding. I think that normal people at its core is about the way that we view ourselves and others It's about the way that individuality interacts with camaraderie and with relationships. It's about bad timing, insecurity, harsh realities. It's about who you are and what place you have in the world. It's about coping. It is about so many things and all of which are incredibly important. On the surface, it's about this relationship and maybe in some ways at its core, it's about this relationship, but it's more so how we learn to feel through Connell and Marianne, how we learn to feel through their relationship. Again, this intimate storytelling, the way that the dialogue engages the audience, the way that everything is so naturalistic and raw and reeling, the way that as a viewer, you understand what these people are feeling because they're letting you into their little world, almost too close for comfort, but also at the right amount of comfort. There are so many little details here that I think should be harped on. I've talked for so long, so I obviously can't go much further, but I really tried to narrow down what it was that I enjoyed so much about this novel and about this show. Also, I'm probably sure my tone has changed a bit. I'm really sorry if towards the beginning of this episode I seemed a little bit, I don't know, tired, because if I'm being honest, it's midterm season and I'm sort of hollow and dead inside, but I really love this podcast. I like talking about these things. I love this piece of work and I want to share my ideas with everybody listening, if there's any of you. So I'm sorry if my mood is a little bit weird or if I fluctuate at all, but I wanted to give you the best podcast episode possible given my circumstances and I think I did my best. Also, if you're still listening, first of all, thank you. It's been forever. How are you still listening to the sound of my voice? I couldn't. But I do want to say that for the episode following this one, so episode five, it's going to be pretty different and not in a super crazy way, but I'll explain. So you should follow at Box Office Babe Podcast on Instagram because that's where I announce episode topics and allow for you to message me with questions, concerns, feedback, ideas, requests, what have you. I love hearing from everyone, and this is so exciting for me. But, you know, stay tuned for next week specifically because it's going to be an interesting one. And with that, we are done with Box Office Babe for today at least. It is almost 9 p.m. I'm going to go get chicken noodle soup and caffeine-free Diet Coke because I'm 4'11 and I can't drink caffeine without shaking. So, oh my gosh, TMI. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.